So, Father, we just worship you. We believe that you are here in our presence right now. And that is what we long for, just to simply be with you, to commune with you, to love you, to praise you. Now may you be exalted and lifted up through the preaching of the word of God this morning. Speak through me, remove me from the equation. May it be all about you. Teach us your ways. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Take your seat, get your Bibles out, turn to Genesis chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. We're going to, as I said last week, that the Bible is concerned when it comes to the, the flood and the judgment of God on the why of the flood, not so much the how of the flood. And we're going to begin to look at the what I call the how of the flood. Um, and it begins with really kind of how do I escape the judgment of God? That's a good thing to know, don't you think? Yeah, I don't want to go through this worldwide flood. How do I, I avoid that? Yeah. So let's look at Genesis 7, verses 1 through 5. Then the Lord said to Noah, enter the ark. You and all your household, for you alone I have seen to be righteous before me in this time. You shall take with you of every clean animal by sevens, a male and his female, and of the animals that are not clean, two, a male and his female, also the birds of the sky by sevens, male and female, to keep them, to keep offspring alive on the face of all the earth. For after seven more days, I will send rain on the earth, 40 days and 40 nights, and I will blot out from the face of all the land every living thing that I have made. Noah did according to all that the Lord had commanded. And so this is really a, a how-to of the flood. How do I avoid the judgment of God? How do I escape this judgment of God? Because it's what is presented here before the flood. And we're going to look at four characteristics of Noah. And you're going to be able to engage where your life is and compared to Noah's life. And see how you stack up. Can I get an amen from that? <laughs> As I studied the life of Noah this week, I have never studied, looked at Noah seriously or spent much time. I was very, very impressed. And you'll see why. First point, Noah was a man of faith. Now, because of the, and what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at a lot of verses, but we're going to look at specifically what God said, the verses where he's sexually speaking. And I want you to learn something about God this morning as we do this. Look at Genesis chapter 6, verse 3. Uh, because we know of the corruption on earth, this is what God says. Is everybody there? Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, because he also is flesh. Nevertheless, his days shall be 120 years. This is God speaking. Okay, we're not reading anything else, just what he says. And what do we learn about God? Well, here we find God in the very beginning determining the date. And there are going to be four D's I want to give you here real quickly. But God determines the date. From the time he speaks... 120 years later, there's a coming judgment. So God's determining the date. Then he says this, look at verse 7 of chapter 6. 
This is the next thing he says. The Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, from man to animals to creeping things and to birds of the sky in daylight savings time, for I am sorry that I have made them. Okay? So God has determined the date. Now he's describing the method of destruction. So he determines and he describes. He's going to blot out man. Okay? Then the next thing God says is in verses 13 and 14 of chapter 6. Then God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence because of them, and behold, I am about to destroy them with the earth. In the first part of verse 14, Make for yourself an ark of gopher wood. Now here we find God declaring the salvation. So we have God determining the date, describing the method of destruction, and now he's de- declaring the salvation. The people are going to be saved through an ark. Then the next thing God says is Genesis chapter 7, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Noah, Enter the ark, you and all your household, for you alone I have seen to be righteous before me in this time. And then it goes on and on. We looked at verses 1 through 5. Now we find God disclosing the end. See that? He determines the date, describes the method, destruction. He declares salvation, and now he discloses the end. And that's how God works. During all of this time, and this is the key point, all those D's, declaring, describing, okay, determining, disclosing, all of that, God expects his children to walk in faith. And this is what Noah does. You, you really can't say this about many people in the Bible other than Jesus. Noah does this flawlessly. However, God said this to Noah, you know, verse 1, and, or not actually, you know, whatever he said to him 120 years prior, whether it was a vision or it was a thought or an impression or just he actually appeared in person. Look at Noah's response. Look at chapter 6, verse 22. Thus Noah did, according to all that God had commanded him. So he did. So twice, Noah did. So he did. So there was no grumbling when God told him this. There was no questions. It was just plain, old, simple obedience. And again, I say to you, you know, this is what it means to walk by faith. He took God at his word. He took God at his word. There was no questions. What would be a question that you think Noah might have to God when he said that to him? What is rain? How long? When will this happen? There is none of that with Noah. I want you to see that. He takes God at his word. Noah is a man of 
great faith in a culture, an entire world, where there are only eight righteous people. So the pressure of the world to conform to its ways must have been immense, unfathomable, and yet he is not budging. He is a man of great faith. And that gets Noah mentioned in the hall of faith. This is Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. Remember this? By faith, Noah, being warned by God about things not yet seen, and what were the things not yet seen? There were two things that were not yet seen at the time. The actual flood of the water destroying the entire planet and rain. He says, In reverence prepared an ark for the salvation of his household by which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. Now everyone get your Bibles out. Go to Matthew 8. I'm going to explain to you again so we get this point about what it means to walk by faith. Matthew chapter 8, starting in verse 5. And we're going to compare this faith to the faith of Noah. By faith, this is what I mean. And when Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, imploring him and saying, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, fearfully tormented. Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion said, Lord, I am not worthy for you to come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my slave, do this, and he does it. Now when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who were following, truly I say to you, I have not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. And of course, this servant was immediately healed. So this centurion, a Gentile, a dog in the eyes of the Jews, an Orthodox Jew, understood authority. And he could see that Jesus had authority. And if Jesus said he would heal this, his servant, then it would happen. The centurion did what? He simply took Jesus at his word. That's how you walk by faith. This is faith. Okay? How long did he have to walk by faith? The centurion did not have to walk by faith long, did he? Because the servant was healed instantly. Do you understand? Okay, how long did Noah walk by faith? 120 years, okay? He has great faith. He's not questioning or grumbling or anything, okay? That's what it means to walk by faith. Now, by faith, I don't mean this. Turn your Bibles to Exodus chapter 3. Because what you'll see in the Genesis chapter 6 and 7 is the writer is putting up a contrast between the, the world and how corrupt it is 
but Noah found favor in the eyes of God. This contrast between Noah and the rest of the world. Okay? Chapter 3, starting in verse 10. God has appeared to Moses in a burning bush. And this is what he says, verse 10. Therefore, says God speaking, come now and I will send you to Pharaoh. So, and again, Moses is there. He's seen a burning bush that is what? It is not being consumed by the fire. God speaks to him out of this burning bush. Okay? We don't know how God spoke to Noah, but it wasn't a burning bush. It could have just been an impression or a thought because he walked with God. But here is a burning bush. He can physically see this burning bush, this fire, all of it. He hears this voice. And God says, therefore, come now and I will send you to Pharaoh so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, certainly I will be with you. This will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God at this mountain. Then Moses said to God, Behold, I am going to the sons of Israel, and I will say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. That, folks, is not faith. Moses is not a man of faith. Instead of obedience, what does Moses do? He questions God about, first of all, his own qualifications. Who am I? Why me? Right? Don't do that. Number two, he questions God's reputation. Do you see that? I think now it's you that sent me. Look at chapter 4, verse 1 through 5. And you see the grace and the patience of God here in dealing with Moses. Then Moses said, what if they will not believe me or listen to what I say? For they may say, the Lord has not appeared to you. The Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? He said, a staff. Then he said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent and Moses fled from it. But the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand and grasp it by its tail. So he stretched out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand, that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. So now Moses questions God about the unknown. Isn't that what we do? If you feel like God's calling you to do something, you want to know exactly how it is going to play out. If you know how it's going to play out, then you are not walking by faith. That makes sense? <laughs> and so Moses, you know, I want to know the unknown future. How's it going to play out? I want to know the response of the people. And so God graciously provides a sign. It's a, a power, a miracle of a staff turning into a serpent. But that is not enough to bring Moses to obedience. So God adds two more signs. Let's continue. Sorry, verse 6. The Lord furthermore said to him, Now put your hand into your bosom. So he put his hand into his bosom, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then he said, Put your hand into your bosom again. 
So he put his hand into his bosom again, and when he took it out of his bosom, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. Then God says, if they will not believe you or heed the witness of the first sign, they may believe the witness of the last sign. But if they will not believe even these two signs or heed to what you say, then you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground, and the water which you take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. Now, amazingly, look at Moses' response. Moses said, please, Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither recently nor in time past, nor since you have spoken to your servant, for I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. That's probably true of every husband in this room right now. The Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth? Or who makes him mute or deaf or seen or blind? It is not I. Is it not I, the Lord? Now then go, and I, even I, will be with your mouth and teach you what you are to say. And look at verse 13. Oh, my goodness. But he said, please, Lord, thou send the message by whomever you will. In other words, don't send me. Send someone else. Do you see Moses at this point in his life is not a man of faith at all? So God graciously has dealt with Moses' weakness. He answers his questions about his qualifications, about God's own reputation, about the unknown future. He blesses Moses with three miraculous powers, a staff that turns into a snake, a leprous hand that is healed miraculously by putting it in his bosom, and the turning the water of the Nile into blood. God also promises his presence will be with him. And now Moses questions his qualifications once again. I'm not a good speaker. Once again, God reassures him using just logic and reason. I made man's mouth, and I will teach you. Then God gives him another promise. Again, I will be with you and teach you what to say. And so Moses' response to all of that is he begs God to send someone else to be the spokesperson. It is Aaron, but the point being is, do you see the contrast between Noah and Moses? Is Noah going up maybe in your, your eyes now, and maybe Moses is going down a little bit? This is incredible unbelief demonstrated by Moses. It is an acute or a severe lack of faith. And apart from Jesus Christ, the most important man in the Bible is who? It's Moses. It didn't begin that way. Moses did not begin his ministry as a man of faith. Not like Noah. God spoke to Noah, and Noah simply believed God. No questions of when this will happen. No questions of his qualifications. And folks, Noah believed God for 120 years. Think about that. For 120 years, Noah believed and preached that God's going to destroy the entire planet with a flood using rain, something no one has ever seen before. And you have to have faith for that because you simply can't see it. It's never existed before. It's never happened. You just believe God's going to do what he said he would do. That is the type of person that God spares from his judgment. And that's the first point. 
Noah was a man of faith. No, Noah was not only a man of faith, he was also faithful. He was faithful. See, a part of being a man of faith is continuing in that faith. And how long was Noah walking by faith? For 120 years up until this flood. He continues in faith throughout the flood and throughout the rest of his life. But for 120 years, Noah did two things. And I want you to hear me on this. He built an ark and he preached righteousness. Second Peter 2.5 tells us that. And by preaching righteousness, I mean he preached the truth. And that truth included the judgment of God. With the ark, Noah could see progress. Year after year passed, and slowly the ark began to take shape until it was completed. With his preaching ministry, Noah saw no fruit. How many people were alive at the time of Noah before the flood? Billions of people, and nobody listened. I mean, imagine preaching for 120 years and no one taking seriously your message. There were no converts, no baptisms, none of that. If you had a church, it didn't grow. In fact, it is likely the people of the first society mocked Noah for his foolish behavior and blind obedience to God. Now, when we think of great faith and of faithfulness, who do we typically think of? Abraham, right? He's the model of faith. He is the man of faith. For 25 years, Abraham walked by faith, and he walked by faith in relative faithfulness. I say relative because there was a time when he really didn't walk by faith, when he tried to produce an heir through Hagar, and the results were disastrous. Ishmael was the father of the Arab nations, which have persecuted the righteous line, the Jewish community and nation forever, it seems like. From that time on. And so Abraham walked by faith in a relative faithfulness to the promise of God regarding an heir for 25 years. Folks, Noah walked in faith and faithfulness for 120 years. And God said this, verses uh, Genesis 6, 13 and 14 again. The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. Behold, I'm about to destroy them with the earth. Make for yourself an ark of gopher wood. 120 late years later, God says this in Genesis 7, 1. Enter the ark, you and all your household. For you alone I have seen to be righteous before me in this time. I'm telling you, I read those verses to you again for this reason. There is no indication that the Lord said anything to Noah during those 120 years. It's not, there's nothing written down. I realize that I'm arguing from science. Well, if I'm going to stick to what the text is saying. God spoke, Noah obeyed for 120 years, then God spoke again. Abraham, God spoke to him for 25 years, and he needed reassurance within a few years, so God spoke to him again. We need reassurance, God spoke to him again. For Noah, Build an ark, 120 years later, end of the ark. No conversation. That is great faith. And that, folks, to continue in that all those years 
its faithfulness. Noah remained faithful. In this faithfulness, by the way, is the evidence of the work of God in his life. His faithfulness is described this way in Genesis chapter 6, verse 9. Everyone turn there. It says, Noah was, you can read it there, blameless in his time. Noah walked with God. Now, by blameless, I mean that Noah was not perfect. As we know, he was not sinless, but he had been declared righteous by God through faith. And he was only righteous by faith because God showed Noah favor by choosing him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him. That's Ephesians 1.4. When, when did you receive the favor of God? This is true of everybody that's ever lived. When did they receive the favor of God? When they were chosen. And when it says Noah found favor, it wasn't anything he'd done. We know that. He was chosen. And then God does a work in his life, Noah believes, and he was blameless in his time. Now, by walked with God, I mean Noah followed after God in his daily conduct. He had a personal relationship with God. How do I know that? It's evident by the fact that God, what? Spoke to him. Who else did God speak to at this point in time in history that we know of? That's recorded in the Bible. Adam and Eve, right? Cain and Abel. Probably Enoch, again, because he walked with God and he was no more. But you're getting the picture here. There was, it was always about a personal relationship with him. It was always done by faith, okay? The, the, the message the Gospels will see was, was the same, all right? But there's another aspect as well of faithfulness that we see in this passage of Noah's faithfulness that is mentioned twice, and because it's twice, it's something that we need to pay attention to. Twice we read of Noah's complete obedience. Look at verse 22 of chapter 6. Thus Noah did according to all that God had commanded him. So he did. Look at chapter 7, verse 5. Noah did according to all that the Lord commanded him. I mean... Can God say that about you? Now, one could say that Noah's life was one long obedience in the same direction. And that's a good thing. But he, was, he obeyed. He did all that the Lord commanded him. You see, that is the type of person God spares from his judgment. So Noah's faith, man of faith, he was faithful, and he was also righteous. Again, go back to chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. Since we read that in light of time, you can just see that. But it says that, enter the ark, the Lord said to Noah, after 120 years, enter the ark, you and all your household, for you alone I have seen to be righteous before me in this time. And that is a contrast to the rest of the world, that is a very sobering, sad statement. Eight people out of billions are righteous. Now, what does it mean that Noah was righteous? Well, I ask you a question. Is anyone righteous by their, their works? 
No. There is none righteous, not even one. In fact, our most righteous acts in our own strength and flesh without being saved are filthy rags to him. No. So how was Noah found to be righteous before God? The same way you and I and everyone else in history is found to be righteous before God. By faith. Particularly by faith in a righteous redeemer. Let me show you how. In Genesis 6, 19 and 20, God gave no instructions on how to preserve animal life through the flood. Okay? He reiterates this instruction in Genesis 7, 2, with an addition. Let's look at it. Genesis 7, 2. You shall take with you of every, the addition now, clean animal by sevens, a male and his female, and of the animals that are not clean, too, a male and his female, also the birds of the sky by sevens, male and female, to keep offspring alive on the face of all the earth. And what we see here is God differentiating between clean and unclean animals. Now, the question is, well, why would he differentiate between these, all these animals? I mean, when Noah stepped off the ark, here's the answer. After the flood, what was the first thing he did? Look at chapter 8, verse 20. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took of every clean animal and of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. This tells us that the clean animals were used as part of a sacrificial system of worship to God. But why? Well, it was simply part of the worship of the sacred culture. Remember back in chapter 4, we saw two societies, two cultures that were born. The unbelieving line through Cain, and the believing line that was supposed to be through Abel, but was through Seth. The first animal sacrifice was made by who? God in the Garden of Eden. That's Genesis 3.21. An innocent substitute was sacrificed to cover the sin of another. This sacrificial standard was obviously passed down to Adam and Eve, who passed it down to who? Who were their first two sons? Cain and Abel. Remember Genesis 4, 3, and 4? The story of Cain and Abel reveals to us that obviously Cain and Abel knew what an acceptable sacrifice was, what was clean and unclean. Abel followed God's instructions, Cain did not. The thing is that it was never codified, it was never written down the difference between clean and unclean until when? Say it. You know it. Moses, right? All that was finally written down was codified right, by the time of Moses. But it's obvious that did Noah know the difference between a clean and unclean animal? Yeah, he did. God didn't have to spell it out to him. So what does that tell us? Well, the clean animals were for sacrificial burnt offerings. The other animals were kept alive to reproduce and fill the earth. I just want you to see that before Moses, you had these offerings, these sacrifices of these animals. That was always part of the worship. What we see Moses doing and what the people of Israel doing after the flood, that was all done before the flood. So from Cain and Abel to Noah to Abraham, sacrifices were offered to God. 
Now, what's the purpose of the sacrifices? Well, they were a picture of the final sacrifice. And who's the final sacrifice? Jesus. They pointed to a coming Redeemer who would save them from their sins. Where did they hear that message of hope? From God through Adam. Remember this? The curse, he was there. God was there. He's an eyewitness. The last part of this. There's enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head. You shall bruise him on the heel. One would come from the seed of the woman and defeat the serpent, Satan. And you can imagine that perhaps Adam thought that maybe it was Cain who was the Savior. Or maybe it was Abel. And as time went on, they realized it just wasn't eventually from one of their descendants. It would happen, but they were waiting for that. And they would have passed that message on, and they did. That was the message of the sacred society, the sacred culture. That message of hope, do you know what that's called? The gospel. And it was passed down through the sacred culture from Adam to Abel to Seth to Enoch and now to Noah. The belief in a promised Savior is what makes us righteous. And folks, that is the power of the gospel. Look at this. It's always been this way. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. Why is the gospel message so powerful? Because that message of hope that's activated by the faith that God gives you is what makes you righteous. You see that? For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. That's the power. If you believe in a coming Redeemer by faith, what happens? God declares you righteous. He gives you his righteousness. This is why the gospel message is always attacked. This is why I came out so strongly against the social gospel. Everything back in 2020 with the, with the riots and everything and, the, and the, you know, all of that. This is why we protect the gospel. This gospel, this message, that's where the power lies. God gives you the faith to believe, and you believe this message of hope. God then shares his righteousness, which is what it says. For in it, what? The righteousness of God is revealed from what? Faith to faith. It's by faith. Because that's how you live. The righteous live by faith. And that same message, that same principle is true for Noah. He believed in a coming Savior who would defeat Satan. And it's through Noah's faith that made him righteous in God's eyes. God credited his son's righteousness to Noah, just like he credited his son's righteousness to who? Abraham. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. That is the type of person that God spares from his judgment. Did you ever think you'd learn so much through Noah? He's a pretty impressive man, isn't he? And he's, a, he, he's going to get drunk and get naked, and there's going to be problems as soon as he gets off the ark. But, I mean, this is a man of great faith. He was, he was, he was faithful unlike anybody else. I cannot imagine what the world was like with only eight righteous people. And finally, you may, you'll have to 
follow me in this one. Fourth point is Noah did not love this world. In James 4, 4, we read this. You adulteresses, in other words, an adulterer is someone who breaks a trust, right? They're married and they commit adultery. Do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? You can't be a friend of the world and be married to God, is what he's saying here. If you do, you've committed adultery. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. James 4, 4. Now, in the first society, God had already begun to reveal to his people certain patterns of behavior that he desired from them that set them apart from the world. We know from Genesis 4, 26, it says, Then they called upon the name of the Lord. This is the sacred society, the sacred culture through Seth. So they were worshiping people. They offered sacrifice at the worship. We now know that. Okay? And they also differentiated between clean and unclean animals. Maybe their diet was different too. I don't know. But the entire sacrificial worship system was a symbol of God wanting his people to learn to make distinctions. In other words, they were to live differently. So from the very beginning, God taught his people there was his way and there was another way. And it had to do with your sacrifices and offerings and worship and your daily conduct. In the common things of life, they had to learn God's way as we have to learn God's way in the common things of life. So from the Garden of Eden, there's what? Two trees. One is allowed, one is forbidden. To the eternal destiny of the human being in heaven and hell, the Bible sets forth only two ways. God's way and every other way. And this distinction is made all the way through Scripture. People are either saved or lost, right? They either belong to God or they belong to the devil. There's the narrow way or the wide way. There's eternal life or there's eternal death. There are those who are against and those who are with. Those within and those without. There is truth, there is falsehood. There is good or there is bad. There is light or there is darkness. There is the kingdom of God or the kingdom of Satan. There is love or hate. Friendship with God or friendship with the world. And from the very beginning, the people were to make that distinction. And we see that because there's a people that worship him, and everyone else is doing what? They're corrupted. They are, there's violence. They are part of a world system. And of course, it's the same today, and we see that. We're to be different. And this brings us back to Noah. It's safe to say that Noah was probably a very wealthy man. But I say that because only a wealthy man could acquire all the resources it would take to build the ark. Wood, labor, whatever else, whatever things were necessary to build this massive rectangle. And if it's like anything like today, we have an original estimate of what it's going to cost and what happens to that original estimate. It always is higher, right? Something always goes wrong, okay? Noah had the means to acquire all of this, okay? I mean, and he was making a massive rectangle that up until recently was the largest ship ever built. 
So he's probably a man who had acquired in his lifetime great possessions. God had blessed his righteous life, just like God blessed Job's righteous life. They were very wealthy. And Noah willingly turns his back on all his possessions and all that he has, believing with all of his heart that God was going to do exactly what he said he was going to do. Again, he took him by faith. He was going to destroy the entire planet in a way that he had no idea what that would look like because he had no idea what rain was. And he couldn't even explain rain to the onlookers. And I can imagine that the people just mocked him and questioned him. And he continues to preach to them and continues to build the ark. And I met, immediately I think of another story of a man who he behaved righteously. And he was blessed with many possessions. When asked to leave it all behind and follow God, this young man sorrowfully declined. And Jesus said to the rich young ruler, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Noah willfully left all he had behind. For what? Okay, I get to survive a flood, then what? You start over. All the advantages, all of the stuff, maybe there were stores back then where you could go and get some, because they were a very advanced society. They ran to the grocery store to get something to eat. No, that's all gone. It goes back to a very different world and a different, harder life. But he leaves it all behind for the promise of a greater reward, eternal life. The treasures of this world do not compare to becoming an heir of the righteousness which is by faith. That is the type of person God spares from his judgment. So the person who walks, so the person of faith who takes God at his word and does not question or doubt him, the person who is faithful, that walks with God in a personal relationship and consistently does what God commands over a lifetime, the person who by faith in a coming redeemer is credited as righteous, and the person who does not love this world, but will, without hesitation, leave this world behind to follow God, that person God will spare from his judgment. That is the picture that God shared with us before the flood of the type of person that escapes this judgment. So God offers hope. There's a way, folks. And here's the standard. And these are just some of the lessons uh, we learn from the life of Noah. And so you have to ask yourself, as I ask myself, does this describe me? Does this describe you? And that's the point. That's your application point. Are these four points true of you? If someone had to write your life, would they include these characteristics? How are you going to be remembered? Will it include these four characteristics? Because that's the way. This is God's way. You walk by faith, you're faithful, you're righteous. And you do not love this world. He is a priority. You love him above all things. When God sees that person, he's like, that person is worth saving. I can work with that person. 
And even, even that type of person, God starts out with Noah and his sons, and look where we are today. It's just in our nature, we're fallen. But the how-to of the flood, how he does it, that's next week. This is how to avoid it, how to escape it. And it's very, very clear. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, make us, in a sense, like Noah, a person of faith who simply takes you at your word, who is faithful over a, a long period of time, over a lifetime. There's a righteousness that is only acquired by faith. And it's evident by the way we live our lives. And he does not get caught up in the things of this world, but knows and without a moment's hesitation, we'll leave it all behind to follow you wherever you call us to go. Lord, make us that way. Turn us into Christ-like followers. And thank you for the example of Noah and what we've learned this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand with me. And we'll close with a song.